Thank you for tuning in to the Mint Podcast. It's great to have you with us. We are Sarah, David, and myself, Sean, focusing on Everton, culture, and a variation of football talking points, from quick insights to in-depth discussion topics. Yeah, I need a bridge loan, if you could. 200K. I lost a 1 o'clock game by a field goal. Was a pickup. Then a 4 o'clock game, I'm chasing the money. I picked up 49. This week on Mint Podcast, we discuss football's gambling fixation. Do clubs really have a conscience or is it always going to be money over morals? Culture change from betting shops to Romanian Reserve League ACA flops. How globalisation, analytics and social media habits has us all at the behest of bespoke betting. And what is next as we transition from fan to user and should clubs take an active involvement in interrupting the industry? This is something that we have particularly felt that we wanted to do an episode on for quite a while now. And then come September's announcement with Everton's betting partnership um, with Parrymatch, we felt the need that this, this needed to be discussed really with, with it within a time frame for everybody to, to, to feel the impact of what we really believed with that connection with the club and the, the betting sponsorship. So shoot back a little bit back into the 60s and we're going to take you to where and explain to you how football and betting became connected. Yes, yeah, so I've been looking a little bit back at the history of gambling in the UK and a few things I've learned actually in the last couple of weeks have been really interesting. Um, but the Betting and Gambling Act was passed in the UK in 1960 and in 1961 the very first casino opened and by 68... The, the governing bodies behind that obviously thought they were, they were missing a trick by not making more money. So they relaxed some of those regulations that had first been put in place. And by 68, we then saw betting shops, casinos, bingo halls. Um, it sort of paved the way for, I suppose, the, the country that we see now. And it normalised gambling and it brought it into, into the high street. And I find that really interesting that it, it's really not in in the frame of everything. It's not that long ago, but it just seems from conversations I've had with family and friends over the last few weeks, getting into this subject, um, gambling is just, it, it, it's such a normal part of everyday life. And I didn't even think about it in a sense. And I'm really interested to to see what you both think about about it now from your perspectives. Yeah, it's um, it is a like very interesting topic to look into, um, especially when you mentioned there, Sarah, about the the high streets and stuff, because it is so like from our lifetime, it's so sort of synonymous with like everyday life, like you say, even from going to the game, it's like part of the day, it's part of the culture, isn't it? It's so ingrained in the culture, and then as as you get a bit older and you start to play for sort of open age teams, it's so within those sort of communities there as well and it's you're putting on accumulators you're putting on doubles you're betting at every sort of opportunity over the weekend and then with the fixtures spread right across the weekend from sort of a a young age for myself 
it was like I couldn't wait to put a few pound on that I had and how that lures you straight into what can be quite disastrous if it's not done correctly or responsibly um, as a as a as a young lad because you're overwhelmed with um, sort of playing on computer games and we'll get into esports and um, where the where the where betting's going um, in the future but from such a young age you've got all these different elements coming in and sky sports analysis and how like that you think to yourself um of as a sort of expert and you can predict that and little do you know like there's only going to be one winner in the end and it's going to be the bookies on the whole you might win the odd bet um and like how that sort of it feels like entrapment in a way and then just reinforcement um into creating some sort of uh, behavior kind of like same with alcohol and um other things as well and because it's so close to home and that sort of partnership with a football club feels sort of very synonymous with like your club like you feel as though you're the expert you go to the game every week and feel as though you could make a little bit of money out of it on the side as well do you feel that the i because i feel that the change in relationship between what sarah said there moving it back in the last 50 years there's been this like exponential growth within the last 25 years of football that maybe the first 10 or 15 years kind of went under the radar the introduction of it in different formats casino betting shop bingo you know lottery or all, all these ways of betting that could be misconstrued as entertainment when they first started and now like Sean said you know you end you, you, football was the entertainment and it's as if even when we've been growing up playing football the entertainment of playing football is not enough you've now got to bet on the entertainment and the outcome of the entertainment it's like you're trying to short your own failures so we've said previously that you can if you're an Evertonian you could bet on another team having first goal scorer just to soften the blow of potentially you might not win that game and it gives you this like positive endorphin hit that something has happened and something that, so the game that maybe you haven't felt is entertaining enough for you you've had your entertaining from it your entertainment from it Sean brings up a good point about as a as a young lad personally um putting a putting a couple of quid on in the in the in the bookies before me going to play Saturday football was kind of like ritual like it was kind of ingrained into our club that we'd all go and do it together and it it felt at the time normal now look, looking back on it i i'd think to myself you know that's not something i do now with my wages um i'm in a fortunate position where that's my mindset but it's all it's the the historical element isn't it to the introduction and the integration of it over time and it's become normalized opposed to very in your face las vegas type of betting just to jump in there and just to bring it back slightly to where sarah was going with her initial comments about sort of um like on the high street and how it's influenced in that respect as well um obviously coming away from the uk again like i've said on the previous part so i won't keep banging that drum but it does really highlight at home where 
there's very like there's there's if I can call it an issue possibly like coming from Ellesmere Port again like a lot of different bookmakers in the town um on the high street and it's a lot like a lot of the businesses there are that um and what it's doing to those communities as well where there might be certain like a certain a higher percentage compared to other places in the country with like unemployment and things like that and people are wanting to go to the bookies or it's something that they've got to try and get a lease or make a few bob if i can call it that just to get out of their certain social situation and um it's kind of like until i came to canada there's certain areas and i think it's only like north america is recently sort of looking to well the us this year sort of federally made it legal um due to the fact that new jersey won in the supreme court to allow sports gambling across different states, not just in like Nevada, let's say, where it was obviously decriminalized in certain parts and obviously the impact in the US as well. That's gonna be interesting to see, but to bring it back to Canada again in sort of comparisons at home, you'd like, there are certain bookmakers about, but it doesn't feel as though they're on like every corner or like there's, there is casinos here as well, obviously um, dotted about in certain parts of Canada, but it's not like every high street where there's like a supermarket and stuff, you just don't see it. Do you find, Sarah, that when Sean mentions the word casinos in Canada, it feels like this big building where you'd walk in and like there'd be thousands of, you know, teddy pickers. And whereas what my idea of casino is in the UK is like that little corner of a betting shop where there's like the casino casino related games. It's kind of like it's been so snuck in. It, it, you don't quite realise of the effects that it would have if you were in a, in the same place for 24 hours. You don't think, oh, I'd never sit in, you know, the Bellagio for 24 hours. You could do because it's Vegas. You're supposed to do it. Oh, like, yeah, in, for in, sure. In, in, in inverted commas. Oh, you know, yeah, well, I think if, I mean, when he's describing that, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm listening to Sinatra. He's in the sound. <laughs> and, and, you know, you can hear, you know, the mafia the early 60s. <laughs> yeah, sure. He's coming down the stairs and he's singing to them, of course. Yeah. And it's definitely the opposite of that, isn't it? And I think I'm in a different situation to you two. And I know football and betting and gambling is synonymous. My match day experience and growing up never, um, it never included betting. And so... But that said, I do understand that it is part of, of football. I understand historically, you know, we talk about Tony Kay. Let's take it to that match fixing. Yeah, so, you know, banned for life for winning. I think it was it would have been something like £100. It, he literally doubled his money, you know, career over. And my, I think my dad absolutely worshipped Tony Kay. And then we flash forward to the 90s and you think about those footballers that, at the time, you sort of there were rumours that they had gambling addictions, massive gambling addictions, and it's sort of coming out now. You know, it's filtered out, isn't it? That we understand those problems. I think there's a few more sort of coming out of the woodwork now. Huge, you know, addictions, hundreds of thousands of pounds a year, and it is glamorised. But my match day experience, whether it's it's, is it projected onto you? Do you grow up with that? I don't know. Gambling and and betting was probably part of my life in the sense that every year we would play the Grand National. So it's that part of my Liverpool heritage. And even now, you know, we will all choose a horse. 
it's it's part of that and I don't even think of it as gambling um, but like I say I understand the the dangers of gambling and I see it and I know there are thousands of, of mostly men that will go to that game every other week and will need to go to the bookies because first of all it's next to the ground second of all it's just it's it's integrated isn't it so that's yeah because it, is it the is it the influence as well that larger corporations can have on the I wouldn't say the outcome of the game and by outcome I don't mean the result I mean the inherent habitual nature of you going to the game are these are these big companies now having an inherent effect on how the game is um, interacted with fans like is it's and everybody you know you follow like on twitter like when football was good and things like that which all relate to sort of like 90s before the premier league or just as the premier league was starting and it was just this machine was kicking off to overhaul how fans experience the game so you know, things like what, in play bets you mean sort yeah of so with, like with that kind so, of... so yeah so in play bets you there was you'd go to the game there'd be like a period of time you'd sit and watch the game and you'd go home and yeah you know betting would happen but it wasn't an inherent part of going to the game or being involved in the game even now like i can flick on a a match on the telly that i'm not even intended on watching and the first the first ad you'd get from it is ray winston you know playing the enforcer to try and get you to put a couple of quid on next goal and i've not even been watching the game and i'll, I'll mm. check the score and i'll think you know and and it's that it's that melding into my psyche where i don't realize that i think oh, I, I know i can probably i think i know more than him or i think i know more than her who's telling me to do these things and maybe i'm right or yeah. maybe they're wrong or maybe i can prove them wrong and, and so, statistics show that the chances of you winning are probably highly unlikely, aren't they? Yeah. I think it's like 1% of people that actually place bets it win, win. You know, I think it's 99% loss, isn't it, or something. So it's fascinating to think about, really. It's, it's, it's definitely it's handed to us as though we have the opportunity to... We're buying into luxury. We're buying into an escapism, aren't we? And it just so happens it's the people that have little or less. But who who needs luxury? And who who desires luxury and who desires escapism? It's the it's the worst off in society who of course desire those things, isn't it? If you if you're on, you know, if you're on a, a, the a footballer's wages, a week's worth of your wages could be perceived to you as the footballer. As oh, I'm just putting a flutter on. Whereas for the lowest, and and they'll do it for entertainment purposes. It feels like the 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 most vulnerable in society are putting it on to to elevate themselves out of their vulnerability. It feels like it's being used as a vehicle to um, take advantage of. Like that, we know these people have an emotional attachment to their club, and does is there any other? experience that you have where you have an emotional attachment to it and you would bet on it like like 
who would you know that's the whole thing like if you were to make mm. an analytical decision over something you have to take the emotion away from it it doesn't make sense does it it doesn't make sense it, it, it's a, it's a the juxtaposition of the emotion plus the the analytics of it it doesn't it doesn't meld at very few other areas that I, uh, you could even think of, you'd, you'd need emotion plus decision-making. It would you usually have to separate those two. And especially with, I think, with gambling, it's a silent killer, isn't it? So with um, an alcoholic or, you know, somebody who is a drug addict, you can see that decline in, in physical... Um, you, you can see it in them, the change. So... Is it even not, I mean, is it more dangerous in a sense because we're unaware of it? Yeah, that's and... a, an interesting point. What you say there, how visual it is, Sarah, with sort of uh, the problems for obviously uh, gamblers who are addicted. And I listened to like a, another pod called Freakonomics, so I'll give them a shout out, uh, talking about gambling and uh, the, obviously the effects of that and there was a university um, professor on there discussing about how in young students I mean they can vouch for that how it became more accessible so as a uni and you're getting free not free bursaries lucky now I mean still in the mindset yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're getting this money large amounts of money like a thousand pounds or whatever you never had before and you've obviously still got like a little part-time job so you cost a living so you've got some excess cash for the first time and um how like so I think over seventy percent of um, first year sort of male students I think was got into sort of online gambling and um, how the lasting impacts of that was that it would lead for them to go into using other drugs and starting to smoke also starting to drink heavily and also drive under the influence of alcohol because um, of losing their money. Maybe they've got a car. So it's not necessarily victimless either. Um, someone potentially because their gambling habit, and I know this could be said about a lot of different things, um, could go out there and obviously hurt themselves or someone else. Um, so it, it, the spe- it, like, it has wider implications um, and there needs to be, just to touch on some of the points before that you're making about the evolution of how it's marketed, it's kind of like they're playing dumb in a way that you know that's what they're selling you. They're selling you that bet. And uh, to think that, oh, yeah, I know that. And maybe, yeah, I should put that bet on with those great odds because uh, it's going to it's gonna come in. Um, but there's a reason why the betting company is giving you great odds on a certain outcome because it's statistically in the back end, I imagine, there's a lot of analysis going on and... It, they're putting together those attractive offers to market them in a certain way to you to play to your instincts and it's probably where we're at in the point today in comparison to where we were with Ray Winston saying yeah put a bet on um, like Paddy Powers making it fun enjoyable um, they're marketing specific bets to sort of and this has been done for a long time in more general like the top of the teams but like even now each team has got a betting partner and like those betting partnerships and marketing specific attractive bets to that fan base and making yeah, money. Yeah, based, based on their behaviours because they've yeah. obtained a lot of data of us as fans over the years to, mm. to, to 
take advantage of what we could do next in relation to that partnership. But interesting what you said there, Sean, about... Well, you, at that point, it becomes exploitation, doesn't it? Exploitation, they, 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 that was exactly the word I was looking for. Yeah, it's man, yeah, sort of manipulation, I, I just was it? not, I was, I, I, you know, obviously, I'm just not intelligent to think about that word that I was trying to, it was trying to come to my head and I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but it is, it's exploitation, isn't it? It's, ex, it's exploiting. And this is, again, going back to what we, what we discussed is we're users. I'm more and more being felt like a user of this thing that I have an emotion for, which is, so unhealthy it's 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 like it genuinely it it is as if i'm being treated like a a physical drug user in regards to my emotions and what that brings through in my uh, behavior and what you said then sean of you know i know more or i know this it's it's that dunning-kruger effect of you're overestimating your low ability Every, and, and a lot of people do it and, and case studies show that you know a, a high percentage of those individuals who you know can be found to not necessarily suffer but have those characteristics of having the symptoms of the Dunning-Kruger effect are males between the age of 18 and 35 and there's no surprise that that effect is going hand in hand with you thinking you know more than you really know you know it's the opportunity to win feels like it's being overplayed like it, it feels as if it's the transparency of it in any other industry if i owned a business and i was you know telling a customer a and i knew that a was never likely going to happen and only potentially you know z could happen it would be some sort of firm regulation that you can't manipulate a customer into a behavior but there seems to be no transparency on that behalf do you, do you think do you think there's more a manipulation of society in general though overall video games the national lottery yeah or the, you can bet on exactly anything the, now but it's again yeah. it's it's not so much about football inherently is it or how we feel about our club but is it society overall that we've got to it's almost like we're chancing everything aren't we and we're setting up a generation coming up now um to touch on what David's just said about manipulating. Yeah. And to kind of go on from that, from what you're saying, Sarah, yeah, where we're at today with sort of gambling in general and where the it looks as though and appears where the markets are growing is um, e-sports is a huge growing market. And um, it's, it's particularly with within the US as well. Um, now, obviously, as I touched on earlier, um, sort of decriminalizing um gambling sports gambling um, federally um and obviously it's up to each state to kind of get on board and um, make sort of decisions and policies around um, regulations and things like that but this esports is it's a very seems very crude sort of what's going on and very sinister because it's your like I don't know what the average age is of a gamer but they do span many different generations from obviously becoming more uh, prominent in like the, uh, the late 70s with like Atari right through to into the 80s with a big explosion of different types of gaming but now we're at this point where we're creating teams on FIFA and young individuals are competing against one of one another and sort of they're being brought up underage to compete online and then once that money and gambling aspect comes in at that certain age 
how that can be very manipulating and kind of lead them to... on that point Sean specifically about games though and you mentioned about early 70s moving forward is it as if now gambling companies or betting companies have gone our market is so big now because we have three generations of people that understand the concept of gaming it's so much easier to just very subtly implement betting into this now so maybe when you fit and also the technology as well has improved to be able to aid you in being able to actually gamble but you know my older brother he's in there now and my you know my older my older brother in his 40s he can play these games my my dad or my parents in the 60s 70s wouldn't understand the concept of why it's you know maybe some people would but maybe generationally you wouldn't see it as much now like you said it's so integrated into everybody it just becomes a gamification of betting opposed to a, yeah. a, a habit a, on those points as well it's like a, if we can describe it as like octopuses t- like tentacles just reaching further and further into different parts of society kind of like the craps board thing that's pulling all the cash to the dealer if i can use that as an ironically <laughs> ironically um but there's a on that point though about sort of you're saying like different generations and the understanding of it and um, there's an argument um I found in relation to this, doing some research, um, a guy called Clayton Christensen is an author of a book called The Innovator's Dilemma. And what that, what he kind of includes in there is that, he's, well, it's not him um, specifically saying this about esports, but a disruptive innovation is an innovation that creates a new market and value network that will eventually disrupt an already existing market and replace an existing product. So when you think about that idea in the concept of sport and gambling, will e-sports possibly, with this younger generation and their children and their children, eventually replace the real thing? Um, It'll move into a totally different domain, and there's so much money there that, like, when I was thinking about this, it's like, We've coached me and Dave like over the years, and like we played football as kids. We were always out every night in the evening. I always think, but now that I always see younger generations, and the world is changing. Um, and maybe it's because where I live now as well. But they're at home. Loads of kids have got access to different types of computer consoles. They don't necessarily need to leave the house a lot of the time. Maybe the parents have concerns with safety in different areas, and how it may just naturally <laughs> change even the the pool of athletes there'll only be so many and when you think about it's also true yeah on like the with the breakaway league and stuff like less grassroots opportunities to play that like who's going to be like it's only going to be the so many like that talent pool across the many well the western world might even get so small and again it's this is just an idea that i've thought about but there's arguments to be made on where it could potentially go and how the um detrimental that could be just to the sport as we know it in general today where will well, that in well that, that ties into coming back to the atari and sports and and then onto computer games over right now this is a little fact i dug out four hundred and fifty thousand eleven to 16 year olds gamble in the uk right now and of that sixty five thousand they think are addicted so 
I'm not sure if that is a warning alarm bell moment. That's a huge red flag, isn't it? <laughs> when it it's comes to absolutely it. I found something in, disgusting. in line with that as well. That um, Obviously, with David Beckham, with his investing into, into Miami uh, in the States, uh, he's also got 5% shared old and guild esports, which is a London-based startup company. That's floated on the London Stock Exchange in October for Yeah, Guild, I think they've started um, launching clothes, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. And I saw that on my, twi- on my promotional Twitter feed. I saw that on my I Instagram do not, feed, I do actually. Not fi- and, and, and I think we're all firmly on, in agreement that none of us fit into the younger category anymore either. Absolutely so not, no. It, or cool. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... They're either thinking, they're either looking at our screen time and saying we spend far too much time on Twitter. These people should be doing something else, and and that's that's how it is, isn't it? That's what Sean was saying. Then they're moving this into economics. They're moving it into data analytics. They're moving it into the similar way that Facebook provides a non-social social network. Betting was a social involvement when I first ever put a bet on it was social me 10 of the lads at football went to go put a bet on now I can bet in my pyjamas on my bed I don't have to go to the bank get money out I can just transfer money from my account electronically put it in my betting account there's not really any sort of verification required nothing Really, no. for, for a couple of accounts that I've set up in regards to just doing research for this, some of them don't even, you know, you don't even have to show any proof of identity. No. So it's that movement into the economics world and how easy it's become because of technology. And if you're um, young and you're coming up, it normalises it. The more you see something, it becomes part of everyday life. You just become numb to it in a sense, don't you? It's just, yeah, it's and just kid, there. And, and kids between the age of 11 and 16, and like Sean said then, you know, uh, moving, fr- moving to eSports, this type of environment, computers, technology, is so just impressionable. Is second, it's second nature as well. It's like a, it's like a, you know, it's like a, it's like a sixth sense. It's yeah. just so, it's so inbuilt because they're a generation now that have just been so melded, just been so so integrated with technology since they were two or three, that it's so seamless the transition and they don't even realise it's happening. Whereas if, for, for maybe our, our generation is the last generation where we can see the physical change from betting shops to electronic betting, because again, you know, depending on what part of the world you live in or what part of the UK you live in, you could see that change more, you know, a lot more sort of physically rather than subtly, I guess. Do you think if they took away the, so the physical shop, so bookies, do you think if they went, the problem would still exist, but it would be a different, It, it it's sort of, it's still there, isn't it? But it's all, again, it's, it's, it's that silent killer isn't it you can't see it but because it's just online now does it change the problem does it take it away what does it do to that if you, it, if you take it, it out of the yeah. high street it, well hopefully the the high street benefits from from it being removed from there and you can kind of see some more positive steps from a high like the high street perspective and um, whether that's in the form of new housing or new shop i don't know because everything does seem to be moving online and being very convenient like we see with amazon things like that um but the 
just to talk, touch on your point as well about the the red flags and and Dave said no verification. There's a guy called uh, Simon S Simo Dragicevic. <laughs> anyway, he's the founder of BetBuddy, which is an analytics tool that monitors gambling behavior. So obviously, he, he's aware that not many gamblers themselves who are addicted will use his tool. However, he does preach to the fact that um, the tech is available to uh, for big betting companies to intervene um, when they should, basically, and not kind of turn a blind eye to it and just keep... Um, essentially welcoming money from people who do have addictions and it was only in 2008 the nhs set up a, a gambling addiction sort of helpline um for people to get help and obviously that's been available for 12 years now but i think a lot of the gambling betting companies should take responsibility and lead in with intervening um with verification um and how it seems like an oxymoron though doesn't it Seems like yeah. an oxymoron. Gamble responsibly. It seems like, yeah. like you said, then such Sean, a contradiction. They've got the it? technology to prevent you from doing from, and we're not even saying betting as a as an act. We're saying habitual, addictive patterns of betting, aren't we? So yeah, they can like flag you just that said, they can and... they can flag it and monitor it and use the technology that they've got to intervene when your patterns align with addictive behavior mm -hmm. which is what i i find interesting from what you've researched for that sean in regards to it's not like they're trying to stop the act of betting as a whole no i i think I, my personal opinion on the whole matter and i know we're going to probably draw to inclusion not too far from now but like it it is a part and it's fun like sarah says like in when done in moderation with like with the grand national for example it's so ingrained in our culture and it's a it's a nice day do you know what i mean like that responsible bet but when it's happening all the time going unaware um of the people that um are surrounded by this person and they've got it on an app on a phone at any time at any point of the day they can bet on any sort of sport on any sort of outcome from sort of real time minute to minute things that's where it's just like excessive and very very dangerous um if it is happening to um, obviously someone that you would like Sarah says it's the silent killer isn't it and before you know it they've spent god knows how much money that's probably not even theirs they might even got it on credit so football's relationship with gambling then you know in the in the, the recent history um, Ladbrokes were the sponsors of the FA Cup and the Scottish Football League you know um, 10 of the 20 Premier League clubs in England are sponsored by gambling companies and in the championship um, the proportion moves from 17 to 24 um, has reduced slightly this season in regards to like for example you know um, online car companies like Kazoo and like you know Carhoo and it, it's it's kind of a, a, a move to electronic tech companies it's kind of slightly replaced this this season the, the the gambling companies and it may be the clubs are becoming conscious of their effect but then you look at Derby County and they're 32 red with Wayne Rooney being number 32 
and it just become it's be, it's it they're not breaking any yeah. laws they're just finding loopholes and they're they're disengaging with the the act of being responsible um and it's as even even to hordens at the side of the pitch whilst you're the football whilst the football's going on with offers with free bets it's as if you're sat in the cinema watching the film and there's a bar at the bottom as not not before, not after, not during the break. If you you know used to go to Walton Picture House, uh, <laughs> or Walton Picture House, and are you posh? Yeah, it, but it's it's as if as the film is physically happening, there's a bar at the bottom, giving you other alternative methods of entertainment if you are not as interested in the film as you thought you'd be, giving you the inability to have patience to sit and go, okay, I'll wait till the end. It's as if they're saying, right, this this isn't catching your eye. It's it's three second attention span. It's it's the the increasing likelihood of endless scroll on Instagram. You can sit there for hours on end, not realizing how long you've sat there because they've invented an addictive way of making you ingrained in the technology, and football's relationship with it has become irresponsible, as far as I'm personally concerned, in regards to there's a vehicle for it, great, but don't utilise just the need for it all the time. I mean, if you think about it, bearing in mind, by the way, we used to go to the showcase, so I don't know if I was more posh than you or not, but our, our big night out was the showcase cinema. But when you walk in there, what do you see? You see hundreds and hundreds of pick and mix, which you know you're going to throw into your bag, and it, everything is geared to make you spend more. Definitely. It's to get more you posh engaged. Than I was if you could have <laughs> a mix. We only ever got the light stuff. We only got the light. That's why you got no teeth. Yeah. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> but but it, everything is, is 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 thrown down your throat, isn't it? To make you you need it. You want it. And from a young age, it's the same thing. You put money into the slot machines and they're nice and bright and shiny and it's it's engaging you think you can you're always going to beat the system and you're never going to beat the system it's it's built so that you never win you might just get that slight little you know glimmer it's designed of to keep you thinking you're going to beat of course the system it is and there are there are there are more than enough of us that understand that but what we're trying to i think accentuated to, is that yeah, we're there's people to bring, that maybe don't bring to light maybe, here, yeah. or maybe do but they yeah. don't realise they're in they're in it now yeah and of course once you get into that you then get further into it because you need to win that money back and then you think well I'll get it this time this you know and you then it's to get out of a hole it's not to elevate your life to a certain level of luxury it is I need to pay my rent I need to pay my mortgage I can't support family friends whatever myself whatever it might be and that's the difference where it's 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 criminally um catastrophic for those people and they're the people that we need to remember and everson haven't made the decision to come away from sport phaser because they're morally thinking of people they've done it because they obviously realize now there's maybe a bit of a taboo about it that's the only reason and we've got to understand that too. I think, I, like, I, I was going to utilise an example for me of when I've put a bet on it. it. Is generally when I need money, like, and it's 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 yeah. odd 
that I'm giving away money because I need money. It's like I'm being introduced to a Ponzi scheme. Like uh, you need you need to buy this to get it back greater. And but the problem is you're not buying anything. And and it can no. be over within the first three seconds because John Stead has just slotted, you know, to get that Blackburn go one nil up against Everton. And it's gone. That's it, it's gone. Your money's just, just gone there. But my need to elevate myself in terms financially was worth, was it worth the was it worth the risk? Um and but to the last point you made there, I, I actually I do, I disagree with you in terms of I don't think it was a moral decision. I think it was a business decision. I think Everton have made a business decision based around the fact that they didn't want it on the front of their shirts because of the backlash. So let's take it off the front of our shirts and let's sneak it through the back door with parry match. That's what I think has happened. Oh, I, yeah. I, I mean, I morally, think... I've probably given them too much credit from a business perspective. Yeah, they, but they haven't. Yeah, they've probably thought of it. It's a, it, I mean, it's all business at the end of the day. Well, yeah, it? exactly. They've probably there's been a moral background to the business decision, but I don't think it's been that they've made the cutthroat decision. Of, no, we're not having any betting sponsorship on the front of their shirt. If somebody mm. walked through the door tomorrow for in a couple of seasons' time and offered them an equivalent of a Tottenham or a Chelsea or a Man United kit sponsor, that was a betting company. I would be very surprised if Everton Football Club said no to that. I agree. Yeah, me too. So, in regards to moving on and we can finalise some solutions, what would we want to see? Let's let's use Everton as the vehicle. What would we like to see Everton or football doing to resolve the potential snowball effect that this has caused to people I know, people you know, um, some people we don't know, but we know of. You know what? What? What solutions could we could we inter- implement as a as a society to resolve this issue? I think in terms of moving away from sponsors, it's a great move. Whether they've done it morally, from a business acumen, however they however they've made that decision, it's okay as long as it happens. They have to build on that. I think. I'd love to see clubs throughout the Premier League just banning um, all advertisements of of gambling, to be honest. I don't think it will ever happen, probably, within the next five or ten years. I, I don't see it happening. I think there's too much money made in it. And I think I think the, the gambling operators make too much money once payouts have been made. So I... The, it, you're talking 14 or 15 billion pounds a year I can't see it happening overnight maybe the way they approach it as clubs and acknowledge that it it, it can be detrimental to, to people's mental health and to support those people more then they're in the right direction it would have to be something that you two maybe bring to the table because I, I can't yeah in line yeah. with what Sarah has just said for me uh with obviously advertisements and things like that obviously you don't want like like alcohol like not around shirt sponsorships and things like that to encourage it from within the club from a younger age uh for example but then 
I don't like like Sarah's just said then I don't think it's ever gonna it's not gonna go away um from from the sport in general but it's like what so what money is being made by the clubs and what are they doing with that money to support obviously the vulnerable within their clubs it's a start isn't it and with maybe certain addicts that are right on the doorstep because I'm sure there's every single club probably has fans and that are addicted to gambling and it's sort of what are you doing with that money to reinvest and can you be a platform to pre preach change with sort of behaviours and those sort of analytical tools and bring them in. Uh, what do you both that- think about a sort of percentage of, so say, Parry Match, if you utilise Parry Match's platform to bet on an Everton game? Because generally, if you're going to bet on an Everton game, it's going to be using the vehicle of their betting partner. If it's the first time you're using Parry Match, what if Everton were to match your bet to give to a charitable organisation to prevent addiction within that. So what they're saying is we'll kind of like if you give a if you give a pound we'll match it. If you bet a pound we'll put we'll Everton will consciously give a pound or give charitable donation to you know a, a gambling awareness or gambling addiction charity. Is that something you could see, or, or business That's wise? Some, yeah. Do you think it? Do you think it wouldn't be profitable? Which would mean that they wouldn't do it. Do you think there's no well, not that conscious? I don't think you're going to stop people betting on games no, in any club. I don't but think I mean, you that's are what I mean. So, 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 solutions like like you've just said there. Of I don't know if Everton can match that and provide support to their fan base as first and foremost, and then hopefully that can spread wider into the community. With their I think other. it's an acknowledgement as well, isn't it? It acknowledges yeah. the issue. I don't think they could. I don't think they would be able to get away with the excuse of it, it's not making a profit. Therefore, we do not want to be involved with it. I think it would have to be, again, one of those, you know, higher level situations where they make that decision um, from a conscious. You know, Was it actions over words opposed course, to these yeah. hashtags? One 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 week a month by a football club. You know, or one one week a year for you know gambling awareness week, or and then 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 they go back to being sponsored by their sponsor, you know, but by by their kit sponsor, they put in their ad hoardings out, and that what they're doing is that it's kind of like they are um, the 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 milking the fact that the fan who has an emotional attachment to the club can then go on well, my club care more about it than most other clubs because they did this, whereas it needs to be a permanent fixture and like Sean said then we're not talking about stopping gambling we're talking about management of the processes in place to stop you know inhibition to stop the release of inhibitions and you know while we while we still have chairmans and owners of football clubs in this country that own betting um, companies that have made you know, hundreds of millions yeah. of pounds. That the glamour isn't going to go away. It, yeah, it's, well, it's sort Ma- of an integral yeah. part of football of the game, isn't it? Somebody like Matthew Bennett. Not that I agree. You know, Brent Brentford owner made his fortune from what what's in what's in theory moneyball analytics. It's 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 educated gambling, and the 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 average person will probably think, "Well, I can be a Matthew Benham. I think I think it's a it's a realization of your ability, isn't it? 
Not yeah, of course, it's like Tony Bloom as well, but they also yeah. put a million pounds on to win two yeah. million. People and forget that as well. Not, and I'll include myself in this. I am not a Matthew Benham. We are not Matthew <laughs> Benhams. Most no. people are not Matthew Benhams. They're not economists. They're not mathematicians. They don't understand the intricacies of what's expected of them to win the money. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's just education on that front as well, isn't it? Like you say. I think as, as far as as far as... As long as we still have online um, football betting strategies and um, gambling systems that you can learn from. I mean, there are people on YouTube that they do this for a living and they teach you how to bet. I think as long as that's part of of gambling in this country, I, I can't see us changing. I think it would have to be an institutional change from, from yeah. the clubs and all of the clubs like you've touched on before, David, where it's everyone all at once, yeah. not just one club making a conscious decision. It's as if it's a targeted sort of in- initiative, isn't it? So it's as if like every club seems to have undergone an, an understanding that, okay, we'll target all of our fans to make money off them, opposed to going the other way and saying, right, we'll target all of our fans to make them healthy and make them understand the risk involved. And if they understand the risk and they're they're willing to 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 use that, that's fine. Yeah, it's like a gambling lobotomy. <laughs> if this podcast has made you aware about potential gambling addiction you've got, or maybe a friend or someone who's close to you, you can visit gamcare.org.uk. There's a lot of information on there for getting support and learning about the wider implications and the pressures on families and even losing your job. Draw the line in the sand now, which is what we've hoped to do for you with this pod. And thanks for listening. Ciao. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mint Podcast. Remember to subscribe to keep up to date on new episode releases. You can like, comment, share and follow us on all social media platforms via searching at Mint is Culture. You can also buy our Mint Citywide Trinity poster campaigns featuring the likes of James Rodriguez, Richarlison, Big Dunk, Ancelotti, Andre Kinchelskis and Neville Southall at www.mintisculture.com forward slash shop.